With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So you ready to tell me what you saw this morning? Aye. Right. So how's it happened this time? Come on, Des. You can tell me. I can take it. What I saw Charlie was... Claire and her baby get into a helicopter. A helicopter that... that lifts off, leaves this island. Are you sure? Aye. Rescue helicopter. On this beach. This island, that's what you saw. We're getting bloody rescued. I thought you were going to tell me I was going to die again. Charlie. Wait, what? If you don't, none of it will happen. There won't be any rescue. I'm sorry, brother. But this time, this time you have to die. to run and in honor of charlie pace and the holiday spirit we turn to another of bruce springsteen's greatest hits yeah you better swim out you better go dive into the secret station where you're gonna die charlie pace you're gonna drown Desmond's very nice Except for how he tells Charlie He's gotta go die Charlie Pace You're gonna drown Charlie Pace You're gonna drown Charlie Pace You're going to drown Desmondo sees the future He knows what's best for Claire over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps talking about the penultimate episode of season three greatest hits in which charlie pace is told 
that he is going to go drown. I'm Josh Wiggler, joined here, as always, by the great man himself. Not the boss, unfortunately, but a wonderful man all the same. It's the great Mix Master Mike Bloom. (laughs) Is that good? Do you like it? You like it? Was it good? You know, because it's Christmas, right? Because we're dropping this on Christmas, Mike. Is that good? Did we do it? You know, because we got the born to runner, and so like the, and so the, the twist is that it's not born to run this time, but it's Bruce Springsteen's Christmas song. Because this podcast for people who are like, wait, I'm binging this. What? Why did we do it? Well, this uh, podcast came out on Christmas 2020. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Joshua Wiggler, you must be born in a manger because you have been sent from above to bring me incredible, incredible music to commemorate this holiday season. I cannot be more happy to be here with you, yes. more proud to yes. be your friend. Yes. Like, I am the other man on the outrigger here with you. You slap me silly with a paddle all day as long as you're singing those lyrics. I, I'm, I'm, I am here for it. I've been here for it. Like, we could just stop the podcast right here, honestly, because this is our greatest hit. This is number five, four, three, two, and one right now, Josh. I just want to let you know that. Also, I did get a babe-esque text from the great Angela Bloom <laughs> saying, what the heck is going on up there? If only you knew, Angela. If only you knew what malarkey we just listened to for the past five I imagine, minutes. I imagine that there are, there are some who are going to be like, what the hell? And then I hope that there are others who like you and then like me in the lead up to making this. I was like, oh, this, this is the idea. This is I mean, good. Let, me, let me be clear. For those that are in the former, I am fully going to body you a la Saeed Jarrah. If you think this is not a piece of lyrical genius. A piece of lyrical shit. <laughs> it's not drive suck. Not nearly. This is fully drive shaft. We're hearing this. If I was listening to this on the radio, I don't care how covered uh-huh. in rain I am, how many tires are flat. I'm cheering. I'm picking up the next person next to me like a fireman and Mike, I'm carrying and, them. And it, and it works so well, right? Because I, and I'd forgotten this too. And this was what broke it for me was that like, oh, they re- like Christmas happens in greatest hits. One of the, yeah. one of Charlie's favorite moments is a Christmas where he gets the, 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 the Dexter Statler or whatever. Uh, the, <laughs> the Dexter the, Statler and Wardle. The, the, the Dexter Stratton uh, ring. Uh, so uh, Christmas is in here. It's uh, baked in. I'm very glad that you did not go with a Christmas shoes parody from Neil's perspective. Sir, I want to buy this yeah. ring <laughs> for my brother, please. All right. So the penultimate born to runner continues. Uh, we will see who is responsible for the sounds next season. Oh, boy. I think we're going to do what Kevin Fever is, what, born two months early? I don't know. Born in the USA. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. That's so dumb. Uh, but we've, bro- we've broken it. So, uh, the, the, you know, the, the streets are wide open. Uh, as long as there's a musical number, I think we're good. Mike, oh. I had to do it because it's very sad what's happening. Charlie Pace is going to drown. <laughs> and so if we're not going to laugh at, at the end here of uh, this nightmare year, the last uh, Down the Hatch podcast of 2020, by the way. Absolutely. We are saying we do not have to go back to 2020. We are no. leaving this in the foreground. And I guess we're sort of counting down. Maybe not the, you know, maybe in a, in a, uh, a year where you can make a list of only five great things that happen, perhaps. Yeah. And great being a very loose term, I think. It's a fitting 
way to send off 2020 as we dive down into the great unknown that is the looking glass of 2021. Yeah, so I I adore this episode. I love this episode. This is the episode where like everything else about Charlie could have been total nonsense for season three, and thankfully it wasn't. Um, but it could have been, and I think I still would be feeling all the feelings. This episode... Yeah. Um, this is what Charlie Pace was always all about uh, at his best, and it's just it's such a it's such a great showcase for Dominic Monaghan. It's a quieter episode I mean, in many I, respects. I would say definitively Dominic's best work since season one, but I would say probably his best work on the series ever. I it's, might argue it's high up there. It would be it would be you know you'd be hard pressed to to challenge that. I think. Um, it's just, it's so, so good, but it's also, I, I, I just said that it's like kind of a quieter episode, but it actually isn't like there, mm. there is like sort of the mournful quality about it, but it's also action packed. It's breakneck. I've, I've said before. Oh no, no, no. Neck break is next episode. Yeah, that's right. It, for me, it, it feels like, uh, this, this is, uh, through the looking glass part one, you know, this is yes. prelude to the finale. This is the first hour of a three part finale. I've said that before. I still strongly feel that way. Uh, this episode, as we've been kind of like talking about the incredible streak that we're on here at the end of season three uh it still for me completely holds up i understand I'm, I'm meant to understand that perhaps you have a nitpick uh so i hope that you'll one, highlight one that when we pick. get there one okay. small nit to pick but okay. yeah i mean the way you brought this up and andrew s also brought up that framing as well made me view this episode in a not necessarily a terribly new light because i absolutely adore this episode as well this has to be the episode that I think gives us the most feels as Lost fans in quite some time because we have such a unique circumstance where we've had many characters fall along the way, Josh, but oftentimes in surprising ways, maybe with the exception of Boone, who had like a death episode. But this is really the first time that we have a character, especially one who has been there since the beginning. He was there with Kate and Jack seeing that monster eat the pilot all the way back in the first episode. To have essentially a farewell episode for him. Now, granted, he's not going to die at the end of this episode as much as he might think he will. But to essentially have one big fond farewell to Charlie Pace brings up so much. And really this device of if you knew it was your last day on Earth, but nobody else did, how would you choose to say goodbye is like an incredibly thoughtful device that, as I said before, you know, is the strongest writing for Charlie Maybe not saying so much sometimes, but definitely since all the way back in season one with the moth. That being said, there are a lot of reflections back to the moth and looking at not only Charlie's life in summation, but also his summation of his character on Lost as well. Considering his number one moment is going to be on the island, that says something. But it is actually, it's very comparable of if this is through the Looking Glass part one and Exodus part one, and that both of these parts sort of start out with this threat, right, of like, the others are coming, we've got to do something. And while some people mobilize, you have these very big character-centric moments, and we have two big heart-swelling things at the end, whether it be the raft launch or what Charlie chooses to do at the end, only to have a little bit of a twist where with uh, you know with the raft launch, it's, oh, yeah, and we cut back to the black smoke, meaning that something's still coming. For Charlie, it's, oh, he's not dead, but wait, who is this woman pointing a gun at him? Right. It's actually very... Uh, very similarly executed, and I, I love thinking about it that way as well because this is, like you said, it's sort of the it's the calm mess before the storm that we have been for quite some time. But the clouds are still pretty gray. 
Clouds are gray. Let's clear them out. Let's talk about greatest hits. We'll go forth into the jungle. It's directed by Stephen Williams. It's written by Kitsis and Horowitz. Their best episode, for sure, as far yeah, as I'm I concerned. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we, we were looking back on these. I think we had a lot of questions. Uh, you know, I don't know if this exactly makes up for Fire Plus Water, but I'm glad they got another opportunity to sort of uh, take another shot at a Charlie episode, uh, which, you know, to your point, maybe showing, let, let's do that again. But yeah, between... This they wrote, they wrote expose. You know, I love yeah, they, expose. They, they, they've been they've been pretty good in in season three, right? They had expose, like you said. They had Trisha Tanaka, DOC, and Every Man for Himself. I think we both said were like pretty good episodes. I think so season I think, three is their best episode, uh, their best season for sure. Yeah, because I do think um, we're past the days of season two where it was Fire Plus Water, Dave, Three Minutes. I will also say, and I think we talked about this all the way back during Born to Run. Best penultimate episode, bar none, yeah, of, not the, close. of the series. Not close. Not close. As far as I'm concerned, I'm like trying to think of what even maps against it. Um, the, me, only, yeah, the only possible one is Cabin Fever, but I know you're going to have an axe to grind against that one. Not a, not, a, not a huge axe to grind. Like I think it'll still rate high, but I, I doubt it'll be a perfect score for me. Um, I, th- I think, you know, Greatest Hits, no surprise, is a perfect score for me. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that this is the best penultimate for... Sure. Uh, and it's interesting, too, because we are now in this place. It used to irritate me, and and now it doesn't. Um, that, like, this is an episode that, while it's a Charlie flashback episode, there's also some other, like, flashy wonkiness that's going on. Um, mm. But I like it, actually, now as sort of a prelude of what's to come. Mm. Uh, you know, we are, we are uh, as soon as next week, we're entering flash-forward territory, Mike. Um, and then shortly thereafter, we'll get into, like, full-on time travel. So I, I like that this episode is sort of like masking um, a little bit of a shift that's happening. It's like slowly preparing us for what's going on, whether, you know, that started with the brig, with having like the full on island flashback experience, which wasn't unique, um, but was, you know, first time in a minute. Um, And then going into the man behind the curtain where we were getting a flashback again to the island and things happening on the island. This is an episode that has flashbacks that take place on the island, whether it's Charlie's, uh, you know, final flashback of the episode when he meets Claire or flashbacks for other characters, kind of. Uh, so I actually like that. I think that like it's a little bit maybe of like a hang up for some people. But for me, I, I kind of love that. I think it's preparing us for the, the structure that's about to change for us on Lost. All right. Well, uh, I'll take a look at my hangers because that may or may not be a hang up for the other person on this podcast. OK, well, so that's a big hang up for you. I mean, that's I mean, I'll, I'll cut to the chase. This That's the one nit uh, yeah. of the episode for me. I just think it's it's small, but I think. The institution of the six hours earlier and the whole Carl Media Res thing, I think it's fine, but I think there's a difference between, you know, what's been set up in previous episodes and that it just feels sloppy to me to have two different sets of flashbacks there. Because yeah. I think if you did, you know, if you instituted similarly and through the looking glass, it would be like flashbacks and flash forwards. All the other episodes commit to one specific or I guess two specific time frames. I don't really feel like we need to necessarily have this big reveal of, oh, actually, the others, you know, Ben jumped up the timetable. I'll be candid. I think if we actually start the episode with that scene that happens in the middle of the episode of Ben coming back to camp, I think it's fine. Yeah, um, I think rules are made to be broken. Uh, and like not all the time. Uh, certain rules don't break them. Many rules are meant to be followed. Uh, but story structure wise, if there's, if there's a good reason to break something, uh, I'm, I'm all for it. And my argument in favor of the way 
that the like the middle of the episode pivots back to what's going on with the others and what's going on with Ben. I think it's just energetically uh, serving the momentum of what's happening right now. Uh, I think like it lends to the urgency, and I think if you have that earlier in the episode, you don't have. Um, you know, you need like midway through the episode to have this moment where suddenly the timeline has just been accelerated by a full 24 hours. Like you do not have nearly as much time as you thought. In fact, they're coming right now. You need to go. Um, I think like if you have that at the start of the episode, then I think maybe it undercuts a bit of what's going on in the rest of the episode. Like you can't really be on board in any way, shape or form with sort of the Jack and Saeed debates that are going on. Um, so I, I like it a lot. I think I think it lends to that sense of big finale energy uh, that Greatest Hits is able to have while simultaneously being such a, a, a character-focused one for Charlie. Um, see, so for, I'm fully in favor of it. See, for me, I understand the utility of it. I just think it sticks out too much like a sore thumb in the, in the rest of the episodes. I'm not saying you don't need to break rules, but I want good reasons to do so. And I don't think we necessarily need, like, the only scene for the others. Because even in previous episodes when we've had, you know, like the brig and the man behind the curtain, which we said were very much focused on the others of it all. We cut back to 815 at least a couple of times. You know, I, I don't know if we necessarily needed to hear from the others for only one scene. I do think there's also some neatness to starting off with the others and having that baton be officially passed off. Yeah. A la yeah. Carl of like, okay, we are now done with this chapter. We have seen the other side. Now let's see how 815 responds. So, I mean, right. I would be, I would be intrigued to see if people have the time and wherewithal to make like a re edit. Of the episode. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm giving it a 4.1 for that reason, because I think it is an incredible episode aside from that. But again, it's a very small nit to pick, but it's it's an intriguing structural choice that I think, to your point, has rationale behind it, but maybe the execution is not entirely there for me. How dare you? How dare you ding greatest hits? He's, I can't. I can't believe it's Christmas. I mean, listen, listen. Do not accuse me hits. of being the Scrooge. I'm the Bob oh Cratchit God. here. My our listeners are uh, much more Scroogey from oh that perspective. God. If you're, if oh you're counting God. giving it a of not giving it a four point two as being Scroogey, you're surrounded we were, by Scrooge, my man. I thought we were friends. I thought we were friends. All right. So the episode begins with Carl running through the jungle and getting on the outrigger, and we'll get back to that in a bit. The episode really pops off. Uh, in terms of like, okay, so what's been going on with 815? Because we don't really know. We've been, you know, off on these journeys with Locke and Sawyer and Ben over the last couple of episodes, and we know that there's been this mounting thing going on with Jack. Uh, so let's finally find out. It's going to be a long sound, so strap in. This is the entirety of the jungle trek uh, from uh, Charlie finding out that Desmond's having another vision all the way through Jack's revelation of his new plan. Anyone want to venture a guess as to what Jack's going to be showing us out in the middle of nowhere? I don't know. Stuff? Probably secret stuff. Why does everything have to be such a secret? How about some openness for a change? We kept the parachute lady secret. Ah, uh, that's different. Different how? Well, because we went out there playing football with them. What? Nothing. Wait. You had one of your flashes again, didn't you? No, Charlie, I didn't. We're here. A couple of nights ago, 
Julia came to me and she told me everything. But Ben had sent her here to find out which of our women were pregnant. So what, you guys were doing tests on us? No, but that's what he wanted me to do. I've been leaving tapes at the medical station. You all heard what he said. They're coming tomorrow. Son, I'm sorry that I lied to you. While I appreciate your honesty, Jack, it doesn't explain why you brought us out here. Danielle! Show him. Juliet told me they were coming. The first thing I thought was, where the hell are we going to hide this time? Hiding's pointless. They're just going to keep coming back. So I went out and I found some help. And for the past few days, she's been bringing dynamite back from the Black Rock. For the very first time, we know exactly what they want, when they're coming to get it, and they have no idea. And we're going to be waiting for them. Juliet's gonna mark the tents with the white rocks just like she was told to. But there's not gonna be any pregnant women inside. There's gonna be plenty of what we just used on that tree. So tomorrow night, we stop hiding. We stop running. We stop living in fear of them. Because when they show up, we're gonna blow them all to hell. Tomorrow is our Independence Day. Welcome back, Jack Shepard. Finally yeah. back into like season one esque form after all that suspicion around who was he since he was tossing the ball with Tom Friendly, as Charlie mentioned. Here he is, finally admitting his plan. I do also love the meta aspect of like, okay, you core characters, come follow me into the field so I can tell you what's happening. Yeah, let me just explain to you all of the reasons why I've been weird lately. Also, let me just take out so much anger on this poor freaking tree. Yeah, uh, Michael is Michael, feeling the pain. Michael, feeling the pain here. Uh, so, I don't know. Uh, do we give Michael an LVP point for dying here? Uh, well, that, well, we know that he can't die, so... He just, piece, of, just, piece of Michael, <laughs> the tree of Michael. Yeah, it's uh, like the giving tree, right? Yeah. Of like, I have so much to give. I also love... Uh, I don't know if this is, if this is purpose full but i feel i when jack yelled for rousseau it very much echoed to me of friendly's light him up so yeah. maybe it shows that jack has now like learned from the others and is now sort of echoing their movements yeah so tom wasn't able to quite like uh learn football from jack as effectively as jack was able to glean from tom like theatrics like he took a couple of like uh, acting lessons from mr friendly while he was undercover with the others I always thought when Jack says, you know, they're going to open the Juliet's going to mark the tents, but they're not going to find pregnant women. They're going to find, you know, a bunch of this. I always imagine for some reason, like a Wiley Coyote-esque idea of these dummies of Kate and Son <laughs> stuffed with dynamite. <laughs> oh, God. 
<laughs> they're not going to find pregnant women. They're going to find dummies that look like <laughs> pregnant women, but they're actually stuffed with dynamite, yeah, not like, babies. Oh, all right, Ben, they're sound asleep. And, er- and, and everyone's they're- like, Jack, we're really on board with the plan, except like that's like getting kind of twisted, man. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, what? What? Where too, are we- too far? <laughs> Where are we going to? Don't worry. I found a bunch of plastic dolls at the waterfalls. We're going to we're gonna melt yeah. them down, turn them into dummies. Yeah. Yeah, it's too too far over the line. Also, um, uh, Josh, you and I are both, you know, from a, a certain tribe. Uh, I do feel like there's some Passover symbology in the white rocks in front of the tent as well, except with the, the exact opposite reasoning. I know. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's so OTT. Uh, the scene is very over the top, and there are arguments to be made both here and then later on in the episode. Of like, stop making all of these violent noises. The others are all around you, potentially. You're blowing up trees. You're making this huge speech in the middle of the jungle. Who knows if they're listening, Jack? Uh... I don't really care. It's grand. It's spectacular. You've been waiting to see where Jack stands. It is now very clear. He has yeah. laid it bare for everybody to see, and it's a very exciting way to launch us into this final three-hour act. Yeah, well, and I think it also reflects Jack's attitude, which is very much like Jack's become a honey badger now. He does not give an F. Like, yeah, let them hear the fact that he just decimated this poor tree he is no longer about hiding. He is all about confrontation, and it's a direct attitude that is going to lead him to give Ben Linus the worst beatdown he has received so far. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit overcompensation for the fact that his cards were hidden so close to his chest, but now that he can be out and open with his opinions, he is ferocious at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so that's what's going on, and now everyone's on the same page. Uh, so meanwhile, we get our first flashback, first actual flashback of the episode, first Charlie flashback. How about that? Actually, the Carl thing wasn't even a flashback. That appears to have been happening at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie's first flashback. This is greatest hit number five. Uh, it's the first time that Drive Shaft hears themselves on the radio. Big that thing you do energy, Mike. <laughs> Uh, it hurts me so just to see you go. Uh, they're, they're driving along. The car is on, they're on their way to Clitheroe, the arse end of nowhere. I believe that's actually arsed and yeah, Charlie. Yeah, I, I think that's where arsed hopes, hosts an open mic night where he just does a lot of science. Yes. Uh, so they're, they're, uh, broken down by the side of the road. They're fighting. Charlie quits the band and then they hear you all, everybody on the radio and everyone is very excited. And so Charlie thinks that that is the fifth best moment of his life. Uh, I, I can imagine that being pretty high up there. Yeah, right, I, I'm, I'm actually very intrigued that the number five moment was the, the one drive shaft related one. Because spoiler alert, I mean, I guess unless you count the ring, which was incidentally involved with drive shaft. more about the family, right? Yeah, you know? but every everything else is – and maybe this also shows Charlie's changing attitude. Because I think if you ask Charlie for his greatest hits yes. list when he hits the island, I think yes. that's probably – Close to number one, if not number one. And maybe this is just, the one that's most about the music, man. It's the music, Liam. You yeah, know, this was a, a moment of celebrating the fact that they have arrived. Right, and I think that also shows that when Charlie landed, he was that, oh, you probably know me from somewhere guy. But in, you know, a short, straight, however many days it's been, he has barely even mentioned Drive Shaft, save for the next scene that we're going to talk about. And he has become much more about who he is as a person rather than who he was as a name. 
Right. Uh, so he writes that down. First time I heard myself on the radio. And wow. then, Which, by the way, hello, welcome back, Charlie Sharpie. You're going to get a workout the next Charlie few Charlie Sharpie is going to uh, MVP point? No, we can't. There's too many MVP points to award this week. Yeah, uh, well, we, we'll, we'll talk about this later on. Josh and I had a conversation offline. Many MVP points to give out, but very scant on the LVP. Hard to figure it out. Hard we to were, figure we're, out. We're a little desperate. Do not at us about how off the book we are we're with, trying to, with these LVPs. We're trying to figure this out. We're trying to figure this out. You know, getting a little crazy creative this week uh so charlie is then going to have a conversation with naomi who uh thank you mikhail now she's uh she's up and about you know she's walking around and so charlie and naomi are going to have a conversation and charlie is going to find out some news from off the island can i ask you something yeah who are you people about to go to war with that's a long story want to ask me something else you having a laugh of course not. Never disrespect a fellow Mancunian. You're from Manchester, then? I am. My band got its start at the night and day bar on Oldham Street. <laughs> what band? Oh, we called Drive Shaft. Yeah, yeah, I know you. We had a moment in the sun. No, not that, the crash. You're the dead rock star. They made a big deal out of you when they found the plane. Huge memorial service, new album. It's a new album? Yeah. God, it was everywhere. A greatest hits thing. Look on the bright side. You're not really dead, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, so, so so Charlie, uh, his greatest hits album. It's Drive Shaft is back, Mike. All it took was a plane crash. I don't know. Is or should we be like? happy about this or because i mean i i want to be but there's also a side of my heart that's like is driveshaft taking advantage of the fact that one of their members died to like catapult them back into stardom um i mean you could you could be a cynic and look at it that way i suppose uh i i don't think that like the message of lost uh for me signals that that's what you're supposed to feel i think the message of lost signals to me the ways in which you bring people together uh and uh not even necessarily the ways in which you bring to people together but the fact that people are brought together uh, mm. like that fact uh so charlie's death which currently has not happened but everyone in the world believes it has happened and soon it will actually happen um is the is the thing that's going to 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 you know bring some music back into the world uh that's maybe going to to help restore some vitality and life to the to the bandmates he left behind uh, I think that that's a nice thing. I think mm. that that's a good thing, ultimately. Well, it actually, you know, lost meets you where you are. I feel like when we're looking back on 2020, which is a year that, unfortunately, feels like it at least had more of an inordinate amount of deaths of very famous and very lovely people. I think that message very much is evoked nowadays as well, right, of how looking back on the legacy of someone no matter how troubled they may be, the the happiness that they brought to people, it's it's nice to revisit that. And so, yeah, I I, I got to give it up to Drive Shaft. I can imagine even from Neil's perspective, as someone who had assumingly retired, I don't know what happened to these other two bozos that wouldn't even get out in the rain to fix the damn tire. Yeah. Uh, but I know that Neil seemed like he had settled down, right? So to have him, especially, I, I wonder if if this was specifically coming from him, considering the last conversation he and Charlie had, knowing. 
you know, what he did to get Charlie... Liam. Ass- yeah, yeah, essentially on that plane to begin with uh, that ended up, from his perspective, crashing yeah, I'm and killing sure, him. Yeah, I'm sure it got him all kinds of contemplative. And look, in the face of tragedy, it doesn't always automatically turn you into the best version of yourself. That requires work. And who knows what that does for Liam Pace, but... Uh, you know, one can hope, one can hope. And I think if the story of Charlie is supposed to be about like heroic sacrifice, ultimately, uh, I think you want to believe that that stuff is possible. Also, if like Charlie's just like ghosting around off Island at some point in time, like maybe there's like an unseen lost story where he just starts Mm -hmm. ghosting at Liam. He's like, Hey Liam. Yeah. You know, uh, if you need any inspiration for songs, here I am. Ghost Charlie. I'm ready to go. Does drive shaft pull a queen and like recast a Charlie esque person eventually. Mm, And is it the guy who plays Pippin from Lord of the Rings? It probably is. It probably is. Whose name? I don't even know. He's he's a singer too. He sings in those films. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Uh, very interesting poll, Mike. All right. So let's go to the rest of the people on the beach. Jack and Juliet, they're handling the dynamite and Rousseau is working on it. Uh, she says we need more wires, so they're going to get some people to start stripping plane wreckage to get more wires so that they can blow this up from a remove, uh, a safe do, distance. And I do love that. Again, this is like a fun callback to season one in many ways, rather than being like, hey, remember when we're surrounded by plane wreckage? Yes, it's like that's still there. We just kind of moved away from it. Yeah, we, we sort of we, we built a kitchen around it. We made a church. We just forgot that it was sort of in the way there. But you know what? We have this lying around. We do have it. Is. It's there if we need it. Um, Saeed and Jack start getting into it. And I love how Jack is like, got no time for Saeed. And Saeed's like, look, if your feelings are hurt, man, yeah. like we can deal with that later. Uh, like if you want a sincere apology later, I'll be happy to give it to you. But right now we got to talk because he has the radio from Naomi. Um, uh, we need to start making moves. Danielle's radio tower signal is jamming the phone. So if Danielle can just lead us there, we're going to be able to, you know, unclog that and maybe get rescued. And Julian Naomi's says, phone uh, is close uh, by. about that dot, dot, dot. Uh, no, because we have a, a signal jammer on top of that signal jammer. Yo, dog, I heard you like signal jammers. It's a great moment, though, where uh, it feels like people are actually sharing information. I know? know, and which is great for considering, you know, as much as we, we lavish praise onto this last batch of episodes, it is a little, and I know it's for the sake of drama, but it is very, you know, withholding secrets. Everyone's a little bit like Sun in season two of like, I have something, but I'm not going to tell what it is. So it is nice that in this madcap rush to the end, everyone's like, okay, let me just say what, what's going on here so that we can yeah. all get on the same page. Yeah, it's like, oh, I think I have an idea of where it might be because once upon a time, I ran into a cable that was going into the waters. So that's probably going to be the thing. So they're going to talk about that in a little bit um meanwhile uh we are going to we're gonna hear what we heard before uh before the music number uh charlie's with claire so like everything's gonna be fine desmond's like hey charlie uh can i talk to you for a second uh, well and, and charlie's so, like and- oh sweet oh my god we're gonna get rescued he's like yeah i saw a, i had a vision it's a helicopter uh claire and aaron they're getting on it they get off the island there's a catch you gotta die. There's a catch twenty two. There's yeah, a catch twenty two. So, all right, so so we have to talk about this. The helicopter sized elephant in the room. Because look, I, I think we're gonna do a bunch of headcanon here, but one thing is very clear from the realistic perspective. The writers had no idea what they were doing at Claire at this point. So it was all very well and good that they probably had the vision of ac- of Claire actually getting on the helicopter. And for one reason or another in season four, they said, no, let's send Claire off into the jungle instead. Or it's because uh, Desmond even deigned to tell Charlie any of this. He corrupted the vision so, yeah, by so that, even like telling him. That's 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 kind of what I've been thinking about, because I think. 
the Occam's Razor thing, as you even talked about in your fantastic song to begin the podcast, is that Desmond missaw Claire. Maybe he's called he's hair colorblind. Saw like the back of someone. He only head. has eyes for Penny. Penny is the only woman that he can recognize. Everybody else looks the same. So, uh, so maybe he just thinks Claire and and Kate are the same person. Yeah, so all he saw was a non-Penny woman, an NPW, yes. getting in the helicopter yes. with Aaron, and so yes. he thought. Okay. He also doesn't know these people very well. He met Kate once. He's he's met Claire once. You know, they've had like two conversations uh, all told. Him and yeah. him and Claire so, and him and Kate. So maybe he's just confused. So he sees the baby though. He's like, oh, there's really only the one baby. Well, so and so from that perspective, I actually sort of go with what you said in that we know that Desmond has the ability to again change the the micro but not the macro. He changed the way that Charlie died. But not the fact that Charlie had to die. Though, again, we'll get into that next episode. I wonder if the macro in this case is Aaron. That Desmond saw an instance where Aaron was leaving the island and it was going to be with Claire. But the constant was always Aaron leaving the island. It just depends on who he left with or who he came with. And in this case, in Desmond maybe going either telling Charlie or going with Charlie on the outrigger and eventually going into the looking glass. He set a different course of events that allowed Claire to go down the very sorry path that she went down, which led Kate to take Aaron instead of Claire. I really do like the alternate scenario, though, where he just, like, it was Kate the whole time, and he just, like, he missaw, and he's like, oh, damn it. Or maybe he <laughs> forgot Kate's name and was like, oh, yeah, Claire and Claire. They're both named Claire, right? Yeah, that's Claire, right? Uh, it's like, no, that's Kate. Oh, my uh, God. It's, oh, it's, I, I confused it with the person you were dating in real life that one time. Yeah, he has, he has nominal aphasia, I think, poor yeah. Desmond. He's, got, he's been hit too many times with cricket bats and paddles. Uh-huh. Uh, and another, you know, there's a <laughs> Jimmy lot of, Lennon. There's a lot of moments that really hurt in this episode. And one of them is here where Charlie, you know, promises Claire that he'll protect her and Aaron. And less so because of what happens to Charlie. And honestly, more so what happens to Claire and Aaron. Specifically, what happens to their lives when Charlie isn't there to unfortunately see that promise not go through, that he, like, protected Aaron in the short term, but in the long term, maybe spun Claire off in a very different direction is extremely tragic to revisit. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, And also, I think uh, Jaquino's score does a lot of work here in the way that it shifts and turns from, like, this hopeful music that they're going to get rescued uh, only for Desmond to to drop the bomb, uh, not the dynamite that, like, yeah— we are going to get rescued, but you have to die in order for it to go down. Uh, so this time you got to go. Uh, very, very, very sad. It cuts us to a flashback. We get greatest hit number four. The time that dad taught Charlie uh-huh. to swim at Butlins. Yeah. And I don't know. Again, this is I think this is the new father and be. But like this scene really made my heart sore for whatever reasons. Charlie's dad, Simon Pace, just seems like he's no King Daddy Quan. He can certainly serve in the court, though, because as as rough around the edges as he may be, you know, I, I really did love that moment where young Charlie jumps into the water and he grabs him. Uh, it's a really sweet moment, though. Josh, did you happen to be listening to the background audio during this amongst the shouting at the pool here? No. Why? What did I miss? A child's voice in the background during this scene yells, come on, let's go, Desmond. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Desmond was there. Uh, he might have. It might have just been another Desmond. Maybe Desmond assumes that all men are named Desmond and all women mm-hmm. are named Claire uh, <laughs> as a result. But yeah, this could have been a thing where Desmond and Charlie were at that pool at the same they were time. Butlins at the same time. Who knew? Uh, it's really exciting. I've, I love when young Charlie goes, I did it. 
Uh, it's a really cute moment for sure. I mean, Charlie's dad, the only other real impression that I have of him is from Fire Plus Water Oof. when he's like the nightmare butcher guy uh, in the in, in one of Charlie's dreams. Um, do we want to remember him that way or do we want to remember him this way? Charlie, at the end of his life, is choosing to remember him fondly. So let's take Charlie's lead. And I, I, I do find it so interesting, and this is talked about in The Lost on Location, that essentially all of these memories in one way or another, revolve around this idea of family, which is interesting to me, because I guess Charlie's story is about family, at least his flashback is, right? Particularly about how Neil corrupted him and brought him down and changed his life irrevocably. But I never really thought about, like, Charlie's story being linked as much to family as maybe a Jack or a Locke. So this is a nice reminder of both the family that Charlie was born with, the family he created in Drive Shaft, and the family he sort of found on the island, too. Yeah. And it's also his quest towards himself. Uh, it's a quest towards actualization through these flashes. We'll, yeah. we'll and, get there and, shortly. And, and this is also, you know, uh, he's going to do some brave stuff shortly, especially in moment number two. But I think this is the first sign of, like, Charlie taking that leap that he does at the end of the episode as well when he finally gets up the gumption. What I, what I love about this as well, this episode, is that as much as we might love Charlie— he never has really been one for the A mission, even when he has gone on the A mission, like when he's tried to save Aaron in Exodus or that aforementioned moment where he goes to, to help get the transponder from the plane. He never exactly has been the one to step up in the heroic moment. And this is truly the first time for this character to do so. And so I love that this is a summation of a character, but also having him progress into a new part of his character and making a conscious choice to, as Nadia is going to say, be the hero. Well, I do think that one of the reasons why, and I know you and I both love Exodus, so I'm not here to besmirch Exodus by any stretch of the imagination, but I think one of the reasons why this is probably universally through the looking glasses looked at more as the winning finale of those two mm-hmm. um, is it, it's not ABC missions, right? Like right. it's a triple A mission. Uh, and that's <laughs> the whole point. That, oh, wait, that, that goes back. You know, it's the it's that's the point that Jack's going to make in a little while. It's like everything has to happen at the exact same time. Uh, so that that's that energy, I think, is uh, and, and when you have that plus the the stakes of the flash forward, it's just like the entirety of the of the narrative is just firing on on all cylinders. But let's let's just reset the stakes with Desmond and Charlie. We're going to listen to sound number three now. Uh, Desmond and Charlie sitting on the beach and Charlie finding out all the specifics of what's about to go down. All right, tell me. You sure you want to know? It might be easier if you just... Yeah. I want to know. You're inside a hatch. It's um, a room full of equipment. There's a blinking yellow light above a switch. Flick the switch light goes off and then you drown when I don't know you sure you saw Claire and Aaron get on that helicopter I So, before I drown, I just have to flip the switch. 
That's right. Where is it then? So... Yeah, let's Char- talk about this. Charlie's moment. such a champ. Charlie's such a champ. Charlie had—he's taken a moment to to like find out what's going on that he's gonna die. Uh, he's just like taking a breather. We didn't mention before that you know he starts writing his greatest hits list before Desmond tells him about all of this. Mm-hmm. My my feeling on that is like you get told that you're gonna die enough times, and the experience that they had in Catch Twenty Two, like maybe now is the time to start creating what essentially is your island will <laughs> right well, that, well and that's always and that's always interesting to me that in that intro clip that you played that when desmond you know talks about the vision that he saw charlie immediately jumps to like oh my god i'm not gonna die that's fantastic it's just interesting that you know all desmond has been saying is you're gonna die you're gonna die right, for him right, to immediately right. jump to like well this means i'm not gonna die is interesting considering that to your point he's already preparing for the worst yeah so he's been preparing for it and now desmond is telling him he's like he's giving him the courtesy of like I had another flash. It ends well if you die. And for that reason, I am making the choice that I'm I'm not going to save you this time. Uh, and so, like, Charlie processing all of that and, like, hearing the news about Claire, uh, he's, like, it's almost like he's as tired of all of this as Desmond is. Yeah. You know, it's almost like, all right, well, let's, if this is, and he is a, a, a man of faith, uh, mm-hmm. Charlie. And it's been a while since we've talked about about that from yeah, both like the, the religious standpoint well, but I, also, I also like, believe that i think for the first time maybe since like further instructions we really see echoes church prominently which i feel like to your point is not coincidental exactly exactly like i think like there you know whether it was him studying at the knee of john locke or him being pretty close to mr echo and now him being close to another uh former priest in uh brother desmond um you know i think that charlie has been a character who has been associated with faith for a while and you know, everything that he does from this moment forward in the next couple, uh, you know, in the finale coming up and, and everything that's happening here is about a man who is ready to seize his destiny and take that leap uh, and believe that uh, his whole sorry life, uh, to, to, uh, to quote somebody else, uh, was building towards a moment of heroism, uh, mm. building towards not yeah, heroin, heroism. No. You know, building towards a moment where it was the pain was worth it, the suffering was worth it. It was about the people you loved along the way and the people who loved you and fighting for them and doing something for them, uh, no matter the cost, uh, whatever it takes, as the Avengers would say. Well, yeah, uh, and I think to that point, you know, we're going to get into this next week, but the Jim Fells music from this week brought up that part of this heartbreaking, beautiful song that we'll hear next week that plays when Charlie dies is life and death combined with. The very first theme we hear from him that deals with his addiction in the moth, and it really goes back to that scene of Locke with that aforementioned moth metaphor, right? You're talking about the idea that I could put my knife in there and and cut him free, but there's this idea that the struggles make you a person. They are the hammers hammering down that coal to make a diamond. I don't know how diamonds work. I'm assuming that's how diamonds are made. Um, Yeah, you just hammer a piece of coal and it turns into a diamond, right? Yeah, well, and, and to your point... The t-shirt that Charlie wears in this episode consists of four Chinese characters. Apologies for for butchering it. It's not nearly as good as my Korean, uh, but I believe it's Yongki and Jinnan, which translate to courage and faith. Charlie is literally wearing these two tenets on him throughout this episode, showing how much of a brave and believing person he has become over the course of his time on the island. But this is a huge moment 
I do wonder how much of this honestly was informed a bit by his conversation with Naomi. This idea of like my legacy has already been left behind, right? Like my drive, my drive shaft days are over. I think he's past the days of playing the guitar on the beach, being like, I'm going to pen an album for when we get rescued. He's a different man now. I think that now he is somebody who's concentrated on like my life are the people on this island. And so when especially the, the woman that he loves, the woman who's number one on his list, has a chance of getting off the island and continuing her life, he's going to do anything to stop that. He feels like his off-island life is already over. Sawyer style. Yeah. It's yeah. time to let others live their lives. Yeah. And I and I think like also a difference maker here is he's had weeks to really very seriously contemplate his own mortality. Right. Yeah. Like he's for the last several weeks he's like been living on uh knowing that he's living on borrowed time. Uh and so I think like that's gonna you know, that's gonna do something for your thought process. And I think it definitely did for for Charlie. So the readiness that he exhibits here uh is is always always so impressive and such a great quality about uh why I think Charlie's death like hits you the way that it does and why it, his story ultimately resolves so satisfyingly. It's like he is he is going for it. He is jumping into the pool. He's going into the deep end here. Um, so meanwhile, he wants to like volunteer to cannonball into the middle of the ocean. Right. So yeah. there's the meeting of everybody uh, where once again, more information being shared. Very exciting. There's a looking glass station. Juliet says no one's been down there for a very long time. There was an accident and it was flooded. And everyone's like, wait, but how does that work? Why is it still jamming things if it's been flooded? It's like, ah, let's not worry about that yet. Maybe there's two people with guns down there. I don't know. You know, I don't Perhaps. know. And one of them might be starring in a show soon enough written by the writers of this episode. Who's to say? Who's to say? Who's to say? Who could say? Uh, so that they're talking about there's the moon pool. They're going to be able to swim down. Yeah, which I'm assuming there's, there's a little boy that lives down there that sends people through the moon Send pool the when, they, when they break the law. Swim! <laughs> swim! Uh, Saeed's going to volunteer to do it. He's like, I'll go do it. I'll switch the thing off. Yeah, and Dan uh, Saeed, like, well, and Jack says, like, and when you get back, and Saeed gives him this look like, it's a suicide mission? I know it but i'm fine doing it which is also another you know thing uh of saeed that is very similar with charlie of like i think saeed has also come to terms with like his life off island that he would be more than fine to sacrifice himself here i mean this is ultimately what saeed will do yep. you know this is how saeed will die someday saeed will die someday because he is willing to carry the the bomb you know he is willing to to uh give everybody else the best shot to live uh you know for you know that's for future analysis, I think, like all the reasons why he feels that way. We could be here for a very yeah. long time I mean, unpacking and, that psychology. And I think it'll also be something really interesting in the short term as to when we get into the Oceanic Six for season four, like why each one of them wants to get off the island. And I think Saeed might be a very interesting piece considering that, again, on paper, you would think he'd be one of the people that's like, I'm fine not going anywhere. And I mean, we'll we'll see that his life arguably ends up for the worse when he does leave the island. Yeah, uh, I think that there's a, a strong argument uh, that certainly things eventually go that way. Uh, but he's he's you know he's volunteering because like they assume that the station is fully flooded. So even though that there's the moon door, uh, you're going to have a there you're going to have a hard time finding the thing that you need to switch off. Uh, so the odds of like actually doing it are really 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 super slim. Um, so Charlie comes up with Desmond says. I can do it. I was the junior swim champion in Northern England. I can hold my breath for four minutes. And, Jack, and now we have to we have to weigh this against. Yeah, Jack's like, well, what about that time Joanna uh, was in the water and you didn't want to go in there? Didn't you say you can't swim? You can't swim? No, um, you understand. I had heroin in my shoe. 
Yeah. So, so, you know, now we're here. So let's, let's respond to that moment. Um, and let's, let's, uh, figure out where we stand on this. So, so Mike, some options. Option one is that back in the day, Charlie was too afraid to go and, uh, go out there, even though he was a master class swimmer. Um, or there's the version where Charlie's lying here. But he knows that his destiny lies at the Looking Glass station, and so he's just making up some bullshit. Because Desmond is going to say to him, like, can you can you really hold your yeah, breath for like, four minutes? Know. And Charlie says, does it matter? And, and I have she, to do this. And to be fair, Desmond also makes the swim, and he has no swimming accolades. So it's not necessary. I know that we think at the time that the station is flooded, but you don't need to be a junior swim champion, it seems, to get down there. So I think like you can you can uh, you can have this cake either way. Pick whichever slice you want. Uh, Charlie was uh, you know in a in a place back in the day where he was just afraid and he didn't want to do it. Charlie now is just lying to get himself in the position of uh, you know seizing his destiny. Or the third slice. It's just a continuity error. Mm, I mean, that I, happens. But, but that's never fun. We always try to fill in the continuity gaps, no matter how large they are. I mean, I'm going to go all the way back to our White Rabbit podcast. I still believe, let me take another slice of cake here. I think Charlie had heroin on him. And he didn't want to go into the water. And he didn't want to, I think, in taking off his clothes, he would have shown people that he had heroin on him. I think that's a secret he didn't want to reveal yet. Yeah, I think that's possible. I also think it's totally satisfying if he's just like, yeah, let me just make up some bullshit right now because I need to be the guy who goes. Yeah. Uh, I'm fine either way. I, I don't know that I have a strong preference one way or the yeah, other. Though uh, I do wonder, you know, is is number four dad teaching me to swim? Is it more about dad or is it about learning to swim? Right. Because yeah. if, if it's the latter, then actually this would be more so the truth of apparently swimming is a big part of Charlie's life. Yeah, I think, you know, it could be that or it could just have been a moment where, like, Charlie conquered a fear. You know, uh, yeah. Charlie, Charlie faced something. That, and and uh, look at Jack. Now we're talking about Jack getting his groove back. He is now being a bit obstinate where Charlie says he'll do it. And Jack says, no, I think he says, what, like for 90 days, I've been asked to make decisions for this entire camp. There you go. I just made one walks away. Yeah, he's like, no, let's just blow up the others. I'd rather focus on that. Uh, so he makes the call. He's not going to let anyone go down. Meanwhile, everyone's still working on stuff. Uh, uh, Bernard and Rose, Yay, they're working on Welcome to season three, Rose and Bernard. Here, took you 21 episodes. Uh, the sheep bend versus the sailors hitch. Uh, meanwhile, you see Sawyer and Hurley. They're stripping wire in the background. I love that there's very little dialogue from Sawyer in this episode. I think yeah. it's very in line with where he's at mentally and emotionally right now. And I think we're going to really touch upon that next episode, right? And For sure. That's going to get into much more character combinations. And I think, you know, we see little of him. We see little of Kate. And I think even outside of like the psychology aspect, I also feel like that's fine because we've gotten so much of them in the previous episodes compared to like Jack who I feel like we've gotten so little of. I, I like the this idea of like the lost ensemble mixing board where we're turning yes. up some levels and turning down others. Yes. Okay, so uh Sun and Jin are gonna have a moment. Hey, what did it, what I heard your name on there. Yeah, everything's fine. We got the baby looks good. They're like, oh good. Yeah, like, so oh. uh, Sun's like, all right, I'll go to my grave, not really talking about the whole uh you know, the the whole the affair thing. Which is fine. Yeah. You don't need to figure it out or sterility. You don't need to find out about that anyway. Yeah, not everyone needs to know. You know, they'll keep a secret here. Uh, then c- here comes Carl. Uh, 
and here comes freaking Saeed, who just levels Carl. This always makes me laugh, because you see this, awesome. this big group running towards them, and you think, like, wow, they're really rushing to hear good news, but no. Nice try, Blanco Nuno. Too bad your ass, <laughs> your got, ass sack. got sack. G.I. Uh, Joe! Republican Guard! Yeah, so uh, Carl gets sacked. And Sawyer uh, finally speaks up. He's like, no, don't. It's just Carl. Yeah. Carl, why are you even here? I love that he says, like, does does he say it's just Carl? And he basically says, I know this guy. He was in the cage next to me. What are you doing here, Carl? And Carl's like, well, the others are coming. And Sawyer's like, yeah, we know. We're going to blow him up. Uh, And he's like, well, why are you guys still here? They're not coming tomorrow. They're coming tonight. They're coming right now. And they're like, coming sorry, now. sorry. Coming I, now. Uh, I didn't listen to you. I keep staring at your nostrils. Can you repeat yeah. the information? Coming now. And that leads us into this flashback in the middle of the episode that is controversial. Uh, I like it. I love that. I love this energy of like breaking things up. And now we're twisting things. We're through the looking glass within this episode uh, of seeing like as we are preparing to strike back against the others. What we are unprepared for is the fact that Benjamin Linus is moving up the timetable because he's so jolted from everything that just happened with John Locke and Jacob, quote unquote, in the jungle uh, that he's just turned up and ready to go. And he wants to, you know, pound his chest and make things happen. Yeah. Which so he is, comes back, he moves up the timetable like, I, let's do this right now. I'm ready to go. Yeah. And this is, you know, I think the beginning of the end of Benjamin Linus's sort of reign of terror as leader of the others. And it really is, like you said, almost like this sense of adrenaline of I was just able to defeat my worst enemy, my biggest threat to the throne right now. I can do anything. We need to attack right now. There's no discernible reason why they would need to bump up the time table to the point where Ben has to erroneously make up the fact that Jacob told him it has to be tomorrow. And this is going to be one of the many reasons why Ben ends up getting his ass handed to him next episode is because he throws things all a titter. His perfectly laid plan goes, you know shot to sunshine a little bit because he, he's able to just be like, try to improvise on the fly and be like, I don't care. We're doing this now. This very careful man is taking drastic action right now. Uh, he's improvising when he usually, you know, he can improvise when he needs to, but a lot of his successes are at the, uh, you know, at the, at the knee of a very carefully thought out decision. Right. Like uh, you don't, do not put Benjamin Linus on curb your enthusiasm. Cause he's like pretty terrible with improvisation. He's better. He's good to think on his feet, but he's usually better with like scripted lines in front of him. You know, I think like he often has that, you know, he can, he can definitely improvise, but this isn't, this isn't so much an improvisation as it is just a mistake. Uh, it's sloppy. He's angry. He's upset. He's been challenged. He's been threatened. And he needs to like reaffirm for himself and everybody else why he's the man in charge. Yeah, to, to the point uh, where he is giving these brutal orders, even for Ben's sake, of like t- essentially take all like Genghis Khan style, take all the women and kill all the men who get in the way. And there's even even before his big grandiose speech, there's this very like defiant action with Alex. Where Alex asks Ben, you know, what happened to Locke? And all Ben says is, here's your gun back. Being like, yeah, you thought you were trying to send a message to him. Guess what? I got to him first. That's why, I, you know, I'm your dad. That's why I'm going to, quote unquote, always protect you. Yeah. So I, I, I love this. Uh, I think to, like, thunder into this moment. Uh, and to like see like Ben like stomping into the jungle and to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. All of that just went down. Um, and to watch him kind of like collapse in this way and it's a collapse like he makes such a big this is a big move and it's a bad one um and like you know and next week i think we can get into it a bit more and like how much is like the charles widmore threat yeah uh, next week will be why ben linus lost 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, we can get into that more next week. Um, but he's he's making a very poor choice here that's going to get a lot of people killed. Yeah. Um, and, 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 I, and I think to like ping pong back into this where like we've been dealing so much with 815 and then to come here like to the point where like we kind of like Jack and and the other members of Oceanic 815 in this moment are sort of thinking about the others as just sort of like faceless enemies. One of the things that this season has done is given those people faces, identities, names, personalities, certainly especially through Juliet and and Ben being the big bad boogeyman in charge of all of them. And so now we are being reminded that this man who wiped out the Dharma Initiative is still out there and is going to make this move that is going to really increase the timetable for what 815 is prepared for. I think it catches Jack and the crew off guard, and it's meant to catch us off guard as well, which is why it comes in the way that it comes in, where it comes in, in the fashion it comes in in this uh, this six hours earlier moment. And especially the fact that it's six hours earlier, so the timeline has increased you know, even dramatically from that decision. So, so I like where that like catches us on the clock hmm. right now in this moment. I actually think it's a really great choice. I don't know. I, I still feel like, again, it feels a little too unconventional for me. Could there be something where we take part of this scene and put it in the beginning and we don't make mention of them bumping up the timeline and it's more so Ben still coming in and being braggadocious, but you still get the reveal of Carl running in and saying that it's happening tonight and so you still have that that mid-episode reveal it just seems too out of the ordinary for me I understand its place but I I feel like there's a way to unlock it where you can have your cake and eat it too but I feel like this scene no matter where the placement is in the episode is also a fantastic continuation of the man behind the curtain which showed how flawed Benjamin Linus was this idea of demystifying the leader of the others here he is to your point making mistakes uh, being pompous. He's lying in that survivor-esque hammock of doom, plotting demises, feeling like he needs to make big moves to succeed in the game when really he just needs to play straight up and, you know, stick to the plan, as it were. It's really interesting to have that carry through of finding out that, you know, Ben is lying about some stuff with Jacob. Maybe Locke has the advantage over him at some points. And Ben is now also someone who maybe... Th- at very rare points, but still does it, you know, thinks before he maybe or talks before he maybe thinks things through. And I think it's just a fantastic slow downslide into where Benjamin Linus is, but also who Benjamin Linus is going to become in season four in particular, and how this is going to become the man who ends up saving a bunch of people and the island in the process a season from now. So Alex is going to overhear all of this. She's been in the corner, just like skinning a rabbit. There's a dead rabbit. A rabbit died. I'm going to give the rabbit an LVP point. I don't know who else to give LVP points to yeah, this week. I don't know, but uh, it turns out that it's not for the cam. No, the others are not going like full uh, agrarian method a la season two. Instead, she's actually bringing that to Carl, who I guess since Stranger in a Strange Land has what been like just skulking outside Dharmaville and assumingly where the others have been going, just kind of hanging out as a passerby. Yeah, he's just hanging out. He's just in the woods. She's going, she's like giving him stuff. This is like what would have happened to Nathan if Nathan had survived, maybe. I don't know, dude. Uh, do you think Ben knows about this and he's allowing it to happen? I think it's it's possible, uh, but that feels unlikely because of the extreme measures he's taken. So I would expect that he's probably just pretty distracted with the lock stuff that Carl's not even a blip on the radar in this or, moment. Or- Either Maybe Carl's has like a Locke-esque sense of tracking, right? Because doesn't Ben say to Locke, hey, we'll leave a, a path so you can track if you dare bring your dead father here? Maybe Carl's like, 
I don't know, studies at his school. Maybe he went on a similar walkabout before coming to the island of, all right, Troy Zan taught me all this stuff. Now I'm going to be able to follow the path and right. keep track of my girlfriend. Right. So Alex goes and uh, to bring him the rabbit to be turned into a, a rabbit burger, a Carl's Jr., <laughs> if uh, if you will. Uh, and she says, hey, all this is going down. You got to go. And uh, Kate and Sawyer saved you. You got to save them. Um, yeah. And, and Carl I- is surprisingly like resistant to the difference of like, Oh, that's really not my business. I, I nearly gave Colin call an LVP point, but he does a good job as the messenger. So I think he, he earns enough of a wash. But damn, him sort of kicking his feet at first when Alex is like, let's save their lives. And he's like, yeah, about that. She's like, no, you don't understand. Remember when you were you know, going to be a pile of goo in room 23 and they ended up saving you? Yeah, uh, so he's he's gonna go. He'll go. Uh, and when he goes back, he's gonna spill the beans on everything that went down. Uh, before we play that sound, we'll listen into it. Let's take a quick break. We'll stop down for a quick break. We'll come back. We'll process all the information that Carl has brought to Oceanic 815. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we're back. Uh, Mike, uh, Carl has a lot to say. He has said his piece. And now Jack has some decisions that he's got to make. Let's take a listen. Is that everything? Yeah. You trust him? You don't trust me? What about her? She's a spy. She's supposed to mark the tents of the pregnant women with white rocks so they can take them. I know, Carl. But thanks. So what are you going to do? We have to leave now. Hide. Where? It's their island. If they want to kill us, they'll find us. Sun's going to go down in a few hours. We have enough wire yet. Not even close. I figure out a different way of setting that dynamite off. We can shoot. We don't have enough guns. He said that ten of them are coming, armed. Not the others, the tents. We can camouflage the dynamite next to the tents, targeted from our positions at the tree line. Juliet marked three tents. That means we need three guns. Whoa! Here, you can have mine too. I'll be a third. We'll take your gun, but you're not staying here. You're going to lead everyone to the radio tower. Everyone. Radio tower? If this doesn't work, we can't risk losing the chance of getting in contact with Naomi's boat. So everything has to happen at the same time. Charlie. You still up for a swim? Yeah, I believe I am. I'll go with him. Okay. Better get to it. (laughs) 
Juliet's not going to get an MVP point, but I want to give her like a ghost MVP point honorary mention for just shutting Carl the F down when he tries to throw her under the bus. Yeah, but I mean, he was right to do it. Like, that's Juliet, you know? Uh, she's scary. No, so I, I mean, I, it was a proper car for him to play, but obviously he was not in the know that like she'd wrong. already done that. I just I just love her properly just being like, oh, thanks, Carl, for doing that. But by the way, Carl, I Carl, good to see you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and, I, also, I, I, and also, just poor Carl, because even when like Jack regards Kate, like, should we trust this guy? Sawyer stuck up for Carl much more than Kate did. Kate just shrugs her shoulders. Yeah, I, I, well, she doesn't know him very well, but, you know, Sawyer and Carl had that bonding moment, Mike. So, you know, uh, once again, stranger in a strange land coming back at you. Life comes at you fast. Uh, Jack making some big plans. Everything has to happen simultaneously. We're going to need three guns. Why not, like, uh, one sniper? You could probably have one sniper, right? You know, you could have, like, one person just do the boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we have, like, a, I guess Saeed would probably be the closest to, like, an American sniper type, right? Someone who who is as much of a sharpshooter as they'd be able to take care of that. Yeah, he might be able to to pull it off. Who's the Hawkeye of uh Well, definitely not Jin, as we'll experience next episode. You know, so, uh, but they've, they've got the plan in place. They're going to get moving. So the momentum is building. The momentum is continuing. Uh, we get another flashback. This is Charlie's third greatest moment in life. Well, spe- mo- speaking of uh, speaking of the number three, we're post menage here. Apparently, yeah, we're post. It's a post menage uh, in the menager uh, here on Christmas Day. Uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, so we're lost talking about meets, three wise men, lost meets you where you are, Mike. And here it is: a Christmas flashback on Christmas Day as we are releasing down the hatch this week on Christmas Day. Uh, and Liam shows up. And he's like, "Hey." Remember, uh, you, you know Santa Claus, Father Christmas. He lives here. We're in Helsinki. He's from he's from here. He's from Finland. And I just talked to him, and he gave me a family heirloom to pass along to you. It's the it's the Dexter Bloody Stratton. Mm, yes, the, uh, and he's like, oh man, I thought the DS wasn't coming out for a while. I can't wait to play all my games. <laughs> uh, I'm holding out for the Switch. Imagine if uh, imagine if Charlie left a Nintendo DS in Aaron's crib to play when he's uh, gone. That would be incredible. Well, I think that there would be no way that Aaron would leave the the DS behind in that case. Maybe it's like oh, a ring. I don't really care for no, that. Give me, give me some games I can give me, play. Give me I'm some bored games out of my I can mind. I've been sitting in this damn crib for so many days. This is so sad, right, Liam? Being like. I'm the mess. You're the you're the talent. You're the one who's going to have a family. I'm the one who's going to be lucky to see thirty. Yeah, it's like the exact and, opposite and, of how it exactly. Goes. Which you know, it's interesting. Again, I'll give an honorary MVP point here to Liam, who I have castigated many times in previous episodes for understandable reasons. You know, this is still, I think, Liam in the throes of addiction. So I'm just happy he hasn't sold the ring at this point for money. I'm not sure entirely where this is coming from, because this is, you know, Charlie, this is not the moth yet, right? Charlie has not succumbed to drugs at this moment. So I don't know what has inspired Liam to do so, but it's an incredibly beneficial thing considering that, like, this ring has importance, right? It, It symbolizes passing something down it symbolizes family and from like a royal perspective it went to the firstborn son i suppose and we'll get to the tear-jerking moment with that later on speaking of season one continuity josh uh i guess back in the days of season one drive shaft i guess there was a point where charlie and liam were both wearing ds rings 
Maybe like uh, Liam made you know a plastic copy for himself just to hang on to it for jewelry's sake. Yeah, probably like for like whenever they would go home and uh, visit family. So mm. it's like he has like the plastic ring, hoping no one's gonna look too closely. That like, oh, you still got the Dexter Bloody Stratton ring? Yeah, here it is. And also, it is really interesting when uh, you know you have Dominic Monaghan write down one of his f- favorite memories is being given the ring. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, well, maybe, very- maybe in being given the ring, Liam uh, really, you know, struck Dominic Monaghan's fate to dying, right? Because it's like seven days, but instead of what, it's like 50-something days? Might be, could be, that could be the deal. Uh, it's supposed to be a week, yeah. Uh, so well, that, this- time is all wonky on the island. I guess that's true, I guess that's true. Uh, but th- this being another great moment is like Charlie being... Uh, you know, when he's thinking back on like the most selfless thing his brother ever did for him, right. you know, this, this would be, this would be that. And like the leap of faith that, uh, Liam has put in Charlie. Uh, I think that that's really sweet. Con- and, not, considering and not to where mention, like, I do think for better or for worse, his brother is, is his best friend from what we yes. saw. And his, and his brother has been a part of his life for better and for worse. And to have this be one of the biggest things Liam has ever done for him is something that's going to reflect so well, considering it shows their bond as brothers goes beyond, you know, the gold or whatever material makes up this ring. I'm sure that there's this big piece of Charlie right now that's reckoning with everything that he's got. You know, memories are all I have, is what he says later on, right? Um, that I think that for him, knowing that he's never going to be able to, like, directly reckon with Liam, you know, he's he's reflecting on who his brother was and, you know, what their relationship was. And uh, he's coming to peace with it. And so I think that this is beautiful. I, yeah. I really like this being on the list well especially um, and especially the again the last conversation where they had where charlie essentially cursed liam saying like it's your fault i am this way like you said he'll never get the opportunity to vocally forgive liam for everything but this is i think his own internal way of doing so right of like yeah liam sent me down this path but he had his moments as well and i, I need to reconcile that relationship so let's go back to the island and believe it or not this will be the final time that Charlie Pace and Claire Littleton ever see each other in this life. Ugh. Let's listen in. You need some help. Why didn't you tell me you were going to do this? Didn't want you to worry. Well, it's dangerous, isn't it? Swimming into some underwater station. It's what needs to be done to get us all rescued. I'll be fine, Claire. You gotta promise me something. While I'm gone. Don't worry about me. Okay.
See you soon. Be careful, Charlie. Okay? Yeah, so this was the first moment of the episode that got me, as I'm assuming it got most people listening right now. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to tell me that the six hours ago thing is enough to take this out of being, like, the, the, all the blemishes that we talked about on the brig and the man behind the curtain. I, like, I, don't, I don't think really? there are, no, I think there are, like, really? no, because I think that's a structural thing, and I think there are not structural things within the brig and the man behind the curtain, too. I think it's. Yeah, okay. But, but right. I mean, okay. listen, why Why am I the enemy here? It's a 4.1 versus a 4.2, bro. Did I ever say you're an enemy? Yes, you are You are insinuating it, sir. You are, you are, I'm you are placing dynamite right know. outside my recording studio right now. I'm certainly not. I'm staying at home, sir. Mm, I don't I'm know. Not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to see if there are any Wiggler bots out there. I'm, but, not going, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just trying to, you know, maybe get you to see that. There's so much happening in this episode that's so much better than one quibble about a structural. This is a it's a four point two. Mm. This is a perfect episode of Lost. Uh, Listen to what just happened. He just told Aaron he loved him. The music was so beautiful. Yeah, you cried. You cried, you, you, you'll cry again. I mean, listen, I, I, also, I, mean, I also cried when Michael and Walt said goodbye. Doesn't make a drift to four point two, does it, buddy? Mm. Yeah, but that was only one moment in the notion of lots of very bad things. <laughs> but and, yeah, this this scene one. is incredible. It's gutting for so many reasons, especially Charlie's, you know, final instructions to Claire of essentially like, don't worry about me when I'm gone is going to have so many repercussions for that Claire character moving forward. And yeah, I mean, the the biggest, I think, tear jerky moment is Aaron reaching up to touch Charlie's face, which I'm assuming was an, was an, an ad lib, was an unscripted moment. No, I think it was scripted in. Uh, the, the baby who played Aaron uh, decided, like, no, I'm going to play this one down to the letter. Or, uh, or did I'll... they script it and they put, like, <laughs> peanut butter on top of Donna, Dominic Monaghan's head? So no, they, like, I, I believe it's actually, there was a, a very, very thin white string that was placed around baby Aaron's wrist, and someone puppeteered <laughs> his <laughs> Someone puppeteered his hand up to stroke at Dominic Monaghan's face. Actually, Dominic Monaghan was the one who did that. So it's just like, you know, next level acting is what, what went down there. But yeah, and, uh, and, the, and the turnip head, uh, you know, name is great considering that, again, harkens back to, to season one. But yeah, it's it's really interesting to think about this being the last conversation that they are going to have before they wake up together in season six. Uh, considering that this is Charlie's number one person. Uh, I do find it interesting that, you know, he says goodbye to her before he does say goodbye to someone like Hurley, as an example. We can certainly get into that later on. But, yeah, just such a both like a heartwarming and heart wrenching scene. Very, very, very wonderful. Um, The penultimate flashback of this episode is Charlie. He's once again playing Oasis. Yeah. Pouring buckets. And interesting, you know, so so here's the thing. Uh, So Charlie puts away his guitar and apparently... If you take a screenshot of the guitar case, there's a sticker that says, I was here moments ago. And indeed, it does look like the same place 
that Desmond found Charlie, you know, back in Covent Garden during Flashes Before Your Eyes. Could this be from like a version of the timeline where Desmond does not run into Charlie on that day? Uh, you know, it could be that, or it could be that Charlie at this moment in his life is coming to this same spot, playing guitar, playing the same song with some frequency. You yeah. know? And we, uh, and we did talk about this sense. during Flash Before Your Eyes. Of course, there is a significance of the lyrics of Wonderwall, because maybe you're going to be the one that saves me, considering that we first hear him sing that essentially to a crowd of people, but mostly Desmond, uh, who was trying to save him time and time again, and will still do so over the course of this episode. Yes, do so. Uh, and so Charlie, he's put the guitar away. He sees something going down in the alley. He goes and he breaks up the fight. Uh, this, one, this, this woman is being attacked. But it's not just any random stranger. That's Nadia. That's, uh, <laughs> that's another connection. Yeah. And, and I've always found this interesting, sort of in the same way that I found like the lock uh, helping Nadia get a house interesting. Because the Saeed-Charlie connection outside of season one was never there. I might have a punch up here. Again, the Nadia stuff is fine, but but I have a rewrite that may be interesting. Let's hear it. What if it's Penny? Mm. Now, look, that would have to redo, obviously, Catch-22 when Charlie, you know, because if Charlie saw the picture, be like, oh, yeah, that's what, that woman who I saved from mugging. But I think if we're talking about him connecting back to Desmond, specifically at this point in season three, that could have been an interesting wrinkle, right? That he ends up saving the life of the woman I who like goes it. on to love Desmond. I like it. I have another punch up. You ready? Do it. Um, that it's still Nadia, but the fact that Charlie had history with Nadia off the island and that John Locke had history with Nadia off the island maybe signifies that all these people are connected and Nadia should have been in the church! Yes, Why isn't she there? So that's the thing, is that I think all this stuff rings a bit hollow when you know that Nadia has... Nadia's going to be... And has her show... She's appearing every season, and she will end her time on the show next season. Come on, come on. Then it's like, oh yeah... I know we we stand... Uh, Saeed and Shannon because they're hot together, but like, come on. But yeah, Not you, the you, people you, are going. It's like, come on, you guys, you guys love Nadia. Yeah, you forget Bring, at this point that they're like, yeah, something's doing? going on with Nadia. They're really trying to like Annie tease us with like, yeah, Nadia is really important, and she is certainly important, but she's not Endgame important. Yeah, Nadia or nice. Uh, so Nadia uh, tells Charlie, uh, "You're a hero. Never let anyone tell you any differently." Charlie writes that down as the second best moment of his life, and I I love that this is number two. Like this is the one where it's like, Charlie, you you chose uh, like the right thing above all else. You chose the right thing to do above literally everything. Uh, it had nothing to do with family. It had nothing to do with honor. It had nothing to do with you taking the leap of faith to like trust your father. This was all about like something horrible is happening and you are choosing to change it. Um, and I think like that moment for him as he is like considering ending his life to yeah. save everyone else's is powerful. So I, I love this one. Yeah. I think that this is great. And not only that, it's also, you know, Nadia says you're four people walked by or three people walked by and didn't do anything. It also shows Charlie that he does things that other people will do. You know, it's even more than an independent decision. It's what he will do that others cannot or will not. Which, again, Charlie is a character who I think back in season one, if you asked him to do this, he would not be that person. But the person that he has become now will be that person. He's always been that person. He's just been in circumstances where he's believed himself to be a coward and always valued himself. When really there has been that selfless person underneath him all along. It's just been corrupted on so many different levels over the years that you forget about it, despite Nadia reaffirming to you, do not forget about it. 
Right. So back on the beach, Desmond's like, all right, here's a weight belt. This will help you swim faster. Uh, by the way, you can swim. You can you can hold your breath for four minutes. And Charles, like, eh, maybe. I don't I know. Look at well, look at Desmond being himself like a little seamstress sewing a, a weight belt here. I'm assuming. Yeah, you know he's a very handy guy. This Desmond Hume. Um, elsewhere on the beach, we're we're putting the the firing squad together. Uh, Bernard makes his point. He can shoot cans. Yeah, because he's been hunting pheasants in Montgomery County. I wonder if he ran into Anthony Cooper any of those times. Yes, he can. Um, and Rose is not happy about this. And she says, Rose, she says to Jack, like, I'm fine with Bernard staying if you can promise that he'll be alive at the end of this. And Jack's like, I can't make that promise. What I can promise you is if we don't leave here in the next hour, we're all dead. And Rose says, I like you now, Jack. Uh, you're almost an optimist. Yeah, and this is obviously, I think, going to pale in comparison to the big Rose zinger coming up. But Rose is making her appearance known in the only two episodes she's in in season three, specifically when it comes to her relationship with Jack, the man who saved her life back in the pilot. Uh, Said is also going to stay behind, and Jack does not like this because he wants to be around when the others blow up. Uh, and Saeed basically reads him for filth, right? Like He's like, look, man, first of all, I've seen how you hold a gun. It's weird. Uh, I have shot and killed people in my capacity as a soldier. I should absolutely be here. And if you really want to be a leader, you keep saying you're the leader, maybe, just maybe, it's time for you to start acting like it. And I love that because it's like Saeed acknowledging, like, I probably should be the leader. Yeah. Uh, well, but you're the one who keeps saying that you are, and people keep looking at you like that. So how about you stop being an a-hole, and you just go and you lead everyone on the walk? There's a weird runner to this episode that you sort of forget about, about this idea of sacrifice. Obviously, it's going to pop up with Charlie, and eventually Desmond, who he himself tries to make the sacrifice play. But Saeed and Jack are playing like sacrifice chicken here. Right, where Saeed goes on that suicide mission, the looking glass. Jack sort of is doing his own suicide mission by being like, I'm going to stay behind. I don't know how much Jack has an intention of coming out of this situation alive. Almost like the way he approaches the end scenario of, look, I'm going to save the island if I die along the way, so be it. This attitude that that Jack and Saeed and all these people have, it's a noble quality. And to have Charlie jut up against arguably three of the most noble characters in the show, again, shows how far he's come as a person. Yeah. Uh, so Jack is ultimately going to uh, accept what Saeed is saying here. Uh, Jack will be the one who leads them to the radio tower and take everybody home is what his job is. Well, some of you, some of you will make it. <laughs> yeah. And he's um, like, don't worry, Saeed, you'll be coming with me, too. It's going to be a long season right. four, but not that long. Here's here's the one that gets me. Uh, let's listen to sound number six as Charlie and Desmond are by the, their little outrigger getting ready to go out on the mission and somebody wants to come along. Dude! Wait! I heard. I heard what you're doing. I want to come with. Everyone, they're all going to the radio tower. I'm sick of trekking. And, you know, explosions. I can't help you guys out. I'm a, I'm a really good paddler. Can't go, Haley. Why not? Because... You're too big. You won't fit in the boat.
sound cool, man. Wait. 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 Dude, it's fine. I don't even want to go in your stupid boat. Catch up with you later. Just remember I love you, man. Yeah, whatever. I love you, too. I mean, theoretically, he does catch up with Hurley actually pretty soon. It just happens yeah. to be in a different perspective. Yeah, uh, not long from now. He'll, you know, a couple years, right? Like, it's still going mean, to be a couple years. much longer from when he catches up with Claire. I mean, yeah, this is another scene that obviously got me, because this is the best friend that Hurley, I'm um, Charlie, had made on the island. And it's tough to watch him sort of do, like, a Harry and the Hendersons thing of, like, throwing at a rock with Hurley to get him away of like, no, you're just fat. You can't get in the boat because you'll sink us of like, I know Hurley can't do this because he'll stop me. So I have to put drive him away by any way possible. What did I tell you last week about spoilers? I can't believe you just spoiled Harry and the Henderson without uh, any. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but I'm well, I was really mad because like I've been spoiler. I've been saving Harry and the Hendersons like as my uh, uh, my Charles Dickens. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say gonna like be the last movie I ever b- before seen. Before I die, I, please, son, get out the DVD of Harry and the Hendersons. Put in uh, there this quality I, lift go. Uh, I, I, you know, it's it's so sad. I love Charlie and Hurley together. Uh, they they just had like the the never say die thing, mm-hmm. and I think Charlie feels like if he tells Hurley what's going on, Hurley's going to try and talk him out of it, or Hurley's going to do something dangerous. Yeah, Hurley, I mean, and Hurley, so- Hurley's going to do what Desmond's going to end up doing of like trying to do it himself or physically stopping Charlie. So he can't he can't let him do that because the stakes are too high. So he has to be cruel in order to protect Hurley. It's just like it's you know it's it's being mean for for a nobler reason. Like it just kills me. I, it makes me so so sad. And also it just speaks so highly of Hurley too, where he's just like yeah yeah whatever love you yeah. too. And I also like, I love that their final scene in this realm takes place right by the water concerning that i think their friendship really does blossom during that expedition of them trying to catch fish together yes. to impress shannon like that's yes. that's when this romance was really born to see it again 100 to see it come full circle to that location might even be the same location exactly is just it's really really sweet yes it's beautiful it's a great ending to charlie and hurley's life together uh if not necessarily their time together uh so charlie has said goodbye uh the Oceanic crew, they're getting ready to go. Jack's making sure everyone's staying hydrated. Yeah, and uh, Kane just simply muses like, yeah, here we go again, huh? Here we same go again. Same old, same old. Same old, same old. SSDD. Uh, so Juliet's marked all the tents. Uh, Syed has found the third shooter. It's going to be Jin. Which makes uh, sense, because we found out recently that Jin was in the military, so he might have... Mm-hmm. I, I think he has more shooting experience than a lot of these people. Uh, and, uh, Hurley is still looking for a job. Claire doesn't need help with Aaron, even though he offers it. Uh, the drive shaft ring, uh, the Dexter bloody Stratton ring is left behind oh. and it shall stay here for a yeah, long time. Until Sun finds it in the incident. And man, this is another one that really didn't, didn't break me, but definitely got me because it just really hammers home. I think what Charlie was implying in his conversations with Claire and Aaron and that like, this is his family. Obviously, he has not sired children, but he's like, let my legacy and my impact live on with this child, who I only knew for a portion of time, but I felt like I was the weird, somewhat kidnapping surrogate father for. And it's just, it's so 
incredibly sweet and again once again so incredibly tragic that this baby never finds out that he had the ds ring nobody finds out about the ds ring at all until sun just happens to find it in the end of season five all right so the the ring is left behind we go out into the ocean with charlie and desmond they have found the cable they go off into the ocean uh we're basically gonna listen to the rest of the episode yeah Uh, you'll, you'll be able to get a break from our voices for like seven minutes or so yeah so so let's do the penultimate sound this is the final flashback uh this is the the number one uh the number one <laughs> i can't do a casey Kasem as heard earlier uh this is it this is the greatest hit hiya do you want a blanket oh thanks i got one were you warming for two take mine thank you So, first plane crash. What gave it away? Ah, you can always spot the newbies. <laughs> We're gonna be okay, you know. Are we? We're alive. We're on a beautiful island. We sleep under the stars, and before you know it, the helicopters will come and take us all home. You really think they'll find us? Oh, yeah, why wouldn't they? Thanks. I'm Charlie. I'm Claire. (laughs) Nice to meet you, Charlie. It's nice to meet you. Michael Giacchino. I mean, a genius for the... Primarily for the fact that that entire piece, the primary instrument, is piano. And, ah! we, and we know, unfortunately, from Fire Plus Water, that piano was like the first instrument that Charlie got into. That It'll it'll effectively, you know, the keyboard will be the last instrument he plays, yeah. you know? So it's a huge piece of his life. Exactly. And so to have that play in prominently on the most important moment of his life as well, I think it just, ah! it really culminates just the entire, like, the entirety of Charlie Pace at this yeah. moment. And it's, again, it's it's so... Big and it actually really calls forward fantastically to the finale of like, wow, these people that all got stranded on an island together—they're the most important people that they'll meet in each other's yes, lives. Like exactly that, that like, yeah. oh, this guy just has known this pregnant woman for again, a, probably a little bit less than two months at this point. But like three, yeah. I but think there's a reason why close. she's his number one is because this is yeah. someone who is going to be has made an impact on his life and will forever to the point where they have to find each other, sit next to each other in the church to move on to whatever happens next. Yeah, they're you know they're they're tipping off the uh, the ending of the show uh, in a in a major way, right? Like you know, I think that this is uh, yeah. It's, I think we're, this this uh, episode is taking place. I think day ninety ish. Okay, uh, and so you know, three ish months into this, uh, a trimester, you know, time, if you will. Yeah, you know, uh, all this time into into being on the island. I think like this idea that's coming up. Uh, coming up mm. is uh, uh, you know it's it's about who you love and who loves you back and and uh, it's all about love. All you need is love. Yeah, uh, exactly. If, love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. Let's do our, you know. our little helicopter love medley. Uh, I and I what I love about this as well is that the reveal after all this, specifically using the uh, you know the perspective, the night I met you, is now led us to believe. 
that this was a note for Claire, that this wasn't just Charlie writing down his greatest achievements. It was his will. That this is a speci- but specifically his will for one person, right? He's not going to yeah. give it to Jack to be like, please read after my death. It's, no, this is something to give to you. And how this is all showing how everything in his life has led up to meeting her. And that is yeah. just incredibly romantic. Might be one of the most romantic things ever done on Lost. Screw you, Peter Gabriel mixtape. All right, so let's close this out. We're going to we're going to immediately pick back up from from where we just left off, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna it's gonna be Charlie and Desmond on the boat all the way through the end of the all line the way of through the looking glass because it it just you know there there's gonna be you know stretches of silence here because it's gonna be a lot of music, but I think that this is one of those moments that like you hear it and you can see it, and I think that it's valuable to just like let's 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 do charlie the honor mm. of 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 following him all the way on this journey so strap in long sound coming right up as we close out the recap wanting to give this to claire for me where is it Five best moments of my sorry excuse for my life. My greatest hit. You know. Memories. Are all I've got. You don't have to do this, Charlie. I'll go. No, you. It flashes. Maybe I keep seeing you die because I'm supposed to take your place. What about your girl, Penny? What about your girl? I might be luckier than you. <laughs> Keep your memories to yourself. I'll take it from here. say well you can tell me earlier the way about this right there behind you
So there is so much to get into. What a ride! I mean, that's the thing is that this thing is—it's an incredible emotional roller coaster over the course of five minutes. It's such a great final five. Yeah, the ending is so good on this one uh, because it takes you through so much. And Dominic Monaghan again is just so incredible in this episode. If you you didn't hear it, so there's obviously you could hear it obviously uh, in the you know uh, the top best five moments of my sorry excuse for life, my greatest hits, but particularly the one moment where. He's knocked out Desmond, which we can certainly get into. Yeah, he stands yes. over the boat and is looking down. His face crumples. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is this is necessary for the character, right? Because this is the temptation uh, and of okay, you said you'd do this. You really don't need to. You have one more out. This is him. I think truly, finally accepting his fate. Yeah. He outright has a hand in his face, saying, "I'll help you," and he's saying, "No, no, well, no, I can't do that." It's not it, it it's that to some extent for sure. I think he's already accepted it, but I think what he hasn't done, he's been so outwardly brave and strong this entire episode. And he is now not literally alone because Desmond is still living and breathing on the outrigger, but he's 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 unconscious. Mm-hmm. Uh and now Charlie is alone. And now that there's no one else, he can let it out a little bit. Yeah. But even then he only lets it out so much, you know, that's how that's how ready he is for this moment. That's how ready he is to to do what he has to do in order to get everyone safe, to to save the woman he loves and the and the, the you know, the son that uh, that he loves so much. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, it's it's not completely comparable, but I do apologize in advance. This isn't a spoiler warning, but, uh, you know, a bit of a trigger warning. I, I will talk about suicide here. Uh, so I will give, you know, everyone who's, who doesn't want to hear about that. Skip ahead. Uh, feel free to totally understandable if you do. But, you know, it, it's not unlike what you may feel when you attempt to take your life. Uh, and it, And it's a grave thing. And it is great for me to say, Josh, that I have personal experience with that, where you have these certain thoughts in your head, and these are obviously very oppositional thoughts to what Charlie is feeling, like I'm going to be the hero. But there's that moment where you actually face the thing, Uh, whether you've been thinking about it or talking about it. There's that moment where you like, you know, stare at the car you're about to to hit or the, the bridge you're about to jump off of or what have you. And then your feelings just come. They hit you. They hit you so hard of like, oh, this is truly the end of my life. And, you know, even if I have these feelings about it, 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 I've, you know, made this decision, I've accustomed myself to my fate. There still is that last moment of emotional reconciliation where the finality is ahead of you and it is 
breathtaking. And I think, you know, Charlie's partially experiencing that as well. And so is the audience. That's the crazy thing is that he dips down. We believe, you know, what Juliet said that, yeah, this is going to be the end of Charlie. And it's a fantastic dip where then he comes up in the moon pool. There's air. It's not flooded. Charlie's alive. Oh, but something much worse is coming because here's a lady pointing a gun at him. Yeah. You know, he still has a chance. You know, he's still he's still at least he's breathing in there. So it is cathartic. And I remember a lot of people, myself included, coming into this one um, thinking that this was, you know, Charlie's been hyped up to die all season long and he's getting the final pre finale flashback. Uh, People die in their flashbacks. Mm -hmm. So I remember a lot of the like, this is it. And so you really are with him holding your breath that whole way through because you're ready for it. And then the beauty of the Giacchino score, uh, when it takes sort of like this like horror turn, yes. it's like you're not killing Charlie like that. Uh, like you're not going to, you know, let him die without like a beautiful moment right now. So it's like it's weird because like it kind of like it, it like it's still like it makes you like draw out the breath longer of like we're really, really in this right now. Um, but you suddenly oddly have some hope that he is going to burst through the other side of the moon pool and be okay. Right. Uh, this is another character who has been told he's going to die throughout season three, but we've even had him nearly die in season one and survive before like, wow. Okay. Maybe this guy is unkillable. Oh wait, this is a real good news, bad news situation. But, but let's go back and talk about Desmond's side of things. Josh, at what point do you think Desmond made the decision to try to go down instead of Charlie? And, and was that before or after he dis- he tells Jack, I'll go with him in the outrigger? He's probably been thinking about this for a minute. You know, he's probably been thinking about this for a good little while. Uh, and like, it's, you know, there's a reason why he wants to go out. It's like this this part of him that feels like obligated to see this all the way through with Charlie because of, you know, this, you know, it, does he really believe in any of this? Is it actually real? It's a test of his own faith. Like are the visions you're having, are they authentic or is there something else going on here? Are you a crazy person? Am I sending this man to his death? Uh, and then also probably within like the Desmond storyline, this reverberation, this idea of you're a coward Desmond mm. uh, and him reckoning with that. And he's been reckoning with that for a long time time uh so i think that's that's on his mind you got to imagine and then here they are in that final moment and i think that desmond truly does believe that like maybe the key to turn here actually is that like the visions will stop if i stop too like maybe it's not about you who has to go maybe we are linked for this other reason maybe you're the test you know, yeah, uh, maybe you're the, the you're the one who I've brought to the top of the mountain. And the real test is like, I don't throw you off. I don't think that's how it goes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the way that's not how this works. Yeah. That's not how any of this works. I also think this really connects so much back to Cash 22, where we've seen this before, that I think as much as Desmond tells himself like, yep, I'm fine letting Charlie die. He can never really let it happen. He, yeah. he barely lets it happen at the end, uh, as we'll talk about next week. And so I do think this is also just connecting back to Desmond being like, yeah, I'll let you go through with your sacrifice, but just never being the person to be like, I can't let this happen. I can't, for, for the good conscience of me, let this man die. I need to go through with it. And then once again, you know, Charlie's saying like, hey, stop doing that. I'm going through with this. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and I know that there's some people who take issue with Charlie knocking out Desmond, uh, Jesse Camacho. I'm looking at you. <laughs> I get it. It's a TV moment. We've had a lot of these TV moments along the way. It is a TV show. Right. Uh, but I think it's also like 
if Desmond is going to start making this move of like, I have to be the one who goes, I don't think that there's any talking Desmond out of stuff. Yeah, I, I so think, if I, Charlie, if Charlie really believes that it's his destiny to be the one who goes, he's going to be the one who has to, he's going to has to take matters into his own hands and his hands have to hold an oar. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what it is, is that, you know, he knows how stubborn Desmond can be. And there's only way, like there's only one way to take this guy out. And it is by, brute force but to your point yes it is built in for dramatic purposes but i feel like these two guys being out there scans perfectly for both of these characters at this point in time and and what they want to do that the tragedy of desmond is that as much as he knows things need to happen in a certain way he himself is the type of person that refuses to make that happen that refuses to be the bystander to that despite what eloise hawking tells him and the fact that charlie is somebody who maybe being given opportunities or maybe being besotted by the fact that, you know, his death does not cause the exact outcome and happy ending for Claire that Desmond said would happen. Incidentally, Claire will live the island just in a different circumstance. Uh, he still is like, I need to go through with this. Uh, I need to show the person that I have become. Uh, they, these are two guys that we have seen, for better or for worse, beat these drums over the course of season three. And it's also another reason why this ending works so well is, again, you know, it's not like, okay, Charlie's death is now out of the way. Now we move into the big other war of season three. Now we have this whole new thing on our plates to deal with, aside from the whole others possibly killing all of 815 and Saeed's plan coming to effect is, oh, wait, now there are others that might have Charlie hostage, and this could be a problem. I love it. I love it. I love the ending of this episode. You know, it's the end of act one of a three act finale mm -hmm. and uh, everything is up in the air and it's all really exciting. There's some hope. There's some fear. There's everything that you act absolutely could ever want from the show. So uh, I, I love where Greatest Hits leaves off. I think yeah. it's a really great character study. Uh, it's sweet. It's sad. It's funny. It's exciting. Uh, it is the greatest hits emotionally of Lost. Yeah. Uh, it's just a, it's just a really, really tight package of an episode. And, and, and it's, it's one of my you, very favorites. It reminds you how strong these characters are and how much they have left us. You know, that, that we have seen, granted a lot of the stuff we have never seen this character undergo before, but it really makes us pontificate of like, wow, Charlie Pace is someone who has been in our lives for three years, for, for better and for worse, and to actually memorialize him while he's still on alive, but still, you know, eulogizing him in a way, makes you profoundly realize how important all these people are, and that just how, like, you know, threatening it makes it that the others are coming, but also how it's going to set up much more heartbreak and triumph to come over the next three seasons as well. All right, some feedback from the Hatchlings, from the great Jim Fells, the aforementioned. Uh, Jim writes in and says, uh, I'm sure you guys will talk at length about Desmond's vision. Uh, lots of fans seem to believe that Desmond was lying because he wanted Charlie to go through with this, but I can't imagine that to be the case. Um yeah, no. I've heard this a little bit, Mike. Like, I would, I would completely, uh, thumb down this. You know, I just think, like, it is just, it's, it's such a hard pass from me. Uh, that interpretation, I think, is such a, uh, an unsavory look at Desmond that it would be, for me, really hard to ever look at him the way that we're meant to look at him again. Yeah. Well, I mean, for someone who, like you said, one of his biggest phobias is being a coward, why would he do that and essentially like do a, a coward's way of lying to Charlie to get him to go through with it? Yeah. And how does, no and thanks. how, I feel like that lies completely countered when they get out there and Desmond says, no, I'll go down, unless that's him, you know, 
knowing, okay, I Charlie must really double down on this, so let me falsely put forward that I'll do it, knowing that he'll step no. forward in front of me. Yeah, no way. No way. I don't like it at all. Um, Stefan asks us, how would you rank Charlie's five greatest hits? Ooh, I don't know. Is it in terms of, like, character importance or objective importance? Because I do think, as we said, like, the drive shaft moment, I think objectively might be higher up there uh, than things like, you know, learning how to swim, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I would switch those. Uh, learning how to swim, maybe number five. Uh, hearing drive sh- getting the ring, I would put four. Drive shaft on the radio would be pretty dope. I think that's a solid three, and then I think we're good with the rest of the order. Yeah, that's how I, I think. Would I think it. number two is fun because I think that's actually a really interesting order as well because it goes from like the biggest moment where they made worldwide fame to the smallest moment where Nadia didn't know Charlie from Adam, and you know he was still able to make an, an audience of one. Yeah, the, the micro versus macro impact he was able to make. Mike Puncher asks, what are Down the Hatch's top five greatest hits, and why is number one Count Jackula? Oh, thank you! Uh, I'm surprised I'm not number two! <laughs> Here's what I would like to throw out there, Mike, because I'm unprepared for this, and I don't think it is for us to say. Right. Uh, yeah, it feels um, very, I don't know, it feels, yeah, very, like, uh, ego I don't like stroking. It. I don't want to do it. But what I would do is I would bask in the glory of other people's uh, greatest hits. So we do have, you know, next week we're doing the finale. And then the week after that, we will do our, our standard stop down, look back at season three, answer feedback, sort through all of that. Uh, so, hey, hit us up. You got a down the hatch greatest hits list. Tell us what your top five is. We'll read it on the podcast when we get to the season three finale feedback special. Uh, down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Send it in. We want to know. Yeah, why not? We, we love you, Hatchlings. And my- much like, you know, uh, we have been along for the ride with these characters. You all have been along for the ride to listen. Josh and I prattle on nonsensically for, you know, almost uh, 70 episodes at this point, plus many bonus episodes. So give it, give us your top five, baby, and, and we'd love to hear about it, especially since we're past the technical halfway point of loss. But as Josh always says, we are closing a book tomorrow. Yes, uh, Act 1 is on its way out. This is a really funny one from Dallin Servo. If Drive Shaft had enough great songs to release a Greatest Hits album, why do we only hear You All Everybody? Is the album just that one song on a list? I don't know. I feel like there are a lot of bands that have Greatest Hits albums, but for some reason the radio algorithm only puts out one particular uh-huh. song, right? Like, again, oh, Oasis. For, for an example, we only really know Wonderwall, right? But I'm sure you could fill an album with Oasis' Greatest Hits disrespect to champagne supernova uh you know there's there's a there's a ton of oasis out there maybe you only know wonderwall mike but don't, I don't know. this is the i listen this i is listen the best to the radio. band this side of the beatles i listen to the radio man and that's I, I do not hear much from oasis outside of wonderwall all right so uh email us down the hatchet post show recaps.com with every song from Oasis. Yes, please do. Uh, send me the just, send me the discography yeah, of Oasis. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go we'll go through it. Let's do MVP LVPs. Mike, you've got three MVPs. I've got three LVPs. The LVPs are hard. Really, really hard. Uh the MVPs are hard in that there are, you know, a lot to give out, and I think probably our instinct is to give I know I only have two MVP spots and I have to dump them both on Charlie Pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean listen, I'll give one another one as well. I mean, this is Dominic Monaghan's finest hour. And this is a sending off for the character, essentially. We'll have to give it to him in drips and drabs when he appears in ghostly form after season three or sideways form. So, Well, he's officially in the positives. We were wondering, where is this, this going to land for Charlie? And, uh, you know, he's he's still on the show. You know, he, we haven't lost him yet. But heading into the finale, into his swan song, Charlie has 
Two positive points. Good. Uh, after a long time in the negatives, uh, for season three, he's got five positive points. So he has risen. And, and, and uh, I feel like this also is a come around a bit from like, you know, again, a little bit of the asshole Charlie still showed in the beginning of season three. But I think he's ending the season very, very strong from when he started. But I have two other MVP points here. And I'm going to spread the wealth a little bit. Uh, welcome back to the MVP category, Jack Shepard. It's been a minute. I'm going to give one to Jack because now he's finally out in the open with his plan. He has a plan. It's going to turn out to be a successful plan. And I feel like the gumption with which he promptly takes the reins back for 815 should be acknowledged considering how much of a desert we have been. And he's his own oasis in a manner of speaking. (laughs) Okay, so Jack gets an MVP point. Who else? I'm giving it to Alex here because as much as, you know, he wants to say, hey, Carl did all the legwork in getting the message over. Alex was the one to not only get that message to Carl, but like basically pushed him onto that outrigger to say, you go do this. And so I think if Alex does not do this, we are looking at a very short run of Lost because all of 815 gets gunned down next episode. So I'll give an, uh, my first of three LVPs. I'm going to give it to her father. I'm going to give it to I'll Ben. G- I'll give one as well. Let's double up on Ben here this week. You know, he, he makes a very reactionary decision. He's flexing. He's, he's charged up, ready to go. He wants to exert his dominance. This is going to get many people killed, and it's going to get him uh, beaten up by Jack. Uh, this is uh, a big, bad decision that Benjamin Linus is making. All right, and I have one more LVP point, and like... Josh, you said this was going to be tough, and let me show how tough it's going to be. Well, why don't we? Why don't we build? All right, let's let's build. <laughs> let's let's build our think... own greatest hits list here. Benjamin yeah. Linus have occupied numbers five and four. Yeah. So here's the three. Uh, so the alleyway attacker. You don't want to. You don't want to attack anyone in an alley. Yeah, the old Manchester mugger. So he's going to get one, and I already said that the rabbit that Alex killed will get an LVP point. This is a hard one to give LVP points to. Everyone's great. Right, because you could say, like, oh, you know, Desmond gets knocked out by Charlie, but he makes a noble effort to get Charlie out there. He's thinking about jumping in. He's thinking about jumping in. You could say, oh, Carl, you know, gets owned by Juliet, but he's the one that delivers and the message. <laughs> he gets leveled by Saeed, but he look at what he did to... He sacrificed so much to come to everybody. Everyone's great. Everyone's so, great. Uh, here's the Everyone's thing. As we've week. spoken about many times, this episode of Greatest Hits is really just a send-off for Charlie Pace as a character, warts and all. And I felt, what better way to memorialize Charlie Pace, one of the inimitable characters in Lost's first three seasons, than acknowledging arguably the LVP in Charlie's life, but bringing it back after it was oh so controversially given back in season two, Heroin is going to get my second LVP point, Josh. One last time, uh, Encore from, from Heroin, the invisible threat. Uh, sure. Because there's just, what are you going to do here yeah. with Greatest Hits? Everyone's great. We're, we're, really, so, we're grasping at straws here. Yeah, if you're mad, you know, don't be. Or, <laughs> just don't be mad. Don't be mad at us. Uh, all right. So the 4.2 stars. And I think uh, Her- Heroin comes in at negative six. I'd like to imagine that I think it's going to stay there. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. fallen below Mr. Pake even at this point. Oh, yeah. Uh, heroin is a uh, is the third uh, <laughs> is, is third place on the LVP rankings. Uh, so it's our Mount Rushmore of LVPs right now. Our Mount LVP more is Anthony Cooper, Pickett, Heroin and, heroin and the Gawkers. Well, the Gawkers are tied with a bunch All of right, people, so Gawkers, we can't just separate Pate, the Gawkers it's out. Wayne, it's Randy Nations, it's Jason, stupid Jason McCormick, and the others. 
Yeah. So uh, this is great. Great, great. Uh, Three of the four spots right now I feel fantastic about. Um, all right, the 4.2 stars, it's a perfect 4.2 for me. It's a 4.1 from Mike for the reasons articulated, right? Yeah, and uh, I think, you know, we have seen pretty, I mean, much like last week and, and mostly the week before, high threes to 4.2s across the board from the listeners. I think Lois is a 3.8, which is fantastic, which makes sense because yeah. it's a fantastic episode. Yeah. That averages out for a listener average. A 4.0. Josh, with your 4.2, my 4.1, the listeners 4.0, that gives greatest hits and average a 4.11. And that is number four. Greatest hits is the number four greatest hit of Lost Season 3 so far, right under the brig, right above the man from Tallahassee. But I feel like it's going to be part of that top five list next week. Yes. And so like that was the question, right? Where where will greatest hits fall? Will it also crack the fours? Uh, because if it does, then we are probably looking at an oceanic top six of fours. Because uh, I cannot imagine the universe where Through the Looking Glass yeah. is not number one uh, yeah. next week. I mean, and, we'll, and we uh, shall see if it can unseat Exodus as the number one lost episode yet. Yes. So that's coming up next week. Uh, as this is the final down the hatch of 2020, and we are going to be through the looking glass talking about the final uh, or the fir- the final episode of season three, the first episode of 2021, the year in which, Mike, we will theoretically finish our rewatch of Lost. And that is so bananas in so many reasons. And again, we said first rewatch because I think. We are very grateful that that those of you, when we sort of put, threw out there, like, hey, what if we kept going after the first rewatch? There was a pretty unanimous response of, like, keep doing whatever Lost-based, uh, you know, and we'll listen, which maybe be careful what you wish for to a certain extent. But that is extremely warming to hear. I mean, look, Josh, this has been a POS gear, to say the least. And like I said before, I think you could arguably write down maybe five things on Sharpie on a, on a loose leaf sheet of paper as to good things that happened this year. But honestly, one of them for me was the ability to come back here 52 plus weeks out of the year and talk about a show. There's only 52 though. Well, 50, 52 so. plus podcasts, I should say. <laughs> maybe I'm living in a different form of time. Wait, did you travel through time? Oh, Cause always. that's pretty cool. And I want to know how, but, Oh, you do not want to know how it's very, very oh, graphic. Uh, but you know, being able to, do this, especially in times when the world was really, I think, as anxious and angry, actually very comparable to like the way 815 is at this moment, right? Like on the precipice of conflict, feeling nervous as all get out, a huge fear of the unknown, fearing that your loved ones might be taken out at a moment's notice. I know that the work we do here is incredibly silly and stupid in comparisons to the fighting that so many noble people out there, the heroes of the world, much like Charlie, you are heroes out there, are doing. And I I hope that throughout this garbage fire of a year, we were able to spritz a little bit of water on it. Not the entire bucket to douse the entire thing, but we were able to allay some of the heat that you could come in here and listen to us gab about nonsense and the show we adore to pieces even during episodes like further instructions uh or you know stranger in a strange land or fire plus water that we could do that for hours at a time and take our minds away from what's going on off island was an immense pleasure to me and immense would be you know the least i could say about it so i am so grateful to what we've been able to do in 2020. And I cannot wait to see both where the show goes and where the podcast goes throughout the year of 2021. Things are looking up right, right well, now. 
Where the podcast is going is through the looking glass. Next week, we're doing the two-part season finale. Strapping for a ride. Mike, let's make sure we carve out like seven hours uh, on our yeah, schedules. Yeah, I will say, so, so send us feedback, full disclosure, depending on we how probably long... probably won't get yeah, to it. Yeah, depending on how long the podcast is, uh, there might be a chance that we don't get to it. I don't think we're ever going to reach the epicness of a five-hour Exodus podcast. This might be the closest we get to it, honestly, because this yeah. is... Back in the day, Josh, more than six years ago, you and I and AJ Mass and Antonio Mazzaro determined by consensus, by committee, that this was the greatest lost episode of all time. And so I think it's going to devote a lot of attention. It is one of the biggest game changers, not only on the show, but arguably in television history. There's a lot to get into here. Yeah, so we're going to get into all of it. We'll see feedback-wise what we'll get into. Uh, that's why we've got that finale feedback show, baby. Uh, coming one week after through the looking glass. So send it in. We'll get to it if we've got time. We got to store up some stamina. We can hold, How long can you hold your breath for? We're about to find out uh, down the hatch returning 2021 very soon from now. Just one week. And yet we're going through the looking glass of another year. Thank God with what is allegedly the best episode of Lost. One of certainly the very best episodes of Lost. A game changer. The end of Act One. As we reach the end here, I want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode of Post Show Recap. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free. Mike Bloom, let's close this thing out. Why don't we turn it back to the boss one last time as we say goodbye to 2020, as we say happy holidays to all of you around the world, you hatchlings, you sweet little babies, you did it. We made it. We survived. Goodbye, 2020. <laughs> Hello, 2021. Do the 
secret station where you're gonna die. Charlie Bates, you're gonna drown. Charlie Bates, you're gonna drown. Charlie Bates, you're going to drown. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.